two, turn to your neighbor, tell them how they're the best looking person you've ever seen. I don't know why there's so much laughter at that. I don't understand. I would, uh, as, as we get underway this morning, it is a joy, it's a delight, it's an honor for me to be here with you this morning. Um, I would ask for your prayers this morning. Last evening as I went to bed, I had some kind of allergic reaction to something, and my, com- my right eye was completely swollen shut. So I, uh, I took lots of Benadryl this morning, so if my tongue seems a little thick, or if I fall off the stage, or if I fall like I did over there earlier, um, chalk up any heresy this morning to Benadryl, okay? Let's, uh, so I'll just ask, I'll ask for your grace in that. Let's, let's take a moment and pray as we come to God's Word. In the stillness, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it is wonderful to know that we don't have to beg you to come. We don't have to plead. We don't have to do a whole bunch of things. You have promised already that where two or three are gathered in your name, you are here with us. And so we thank you for that. Thank you for, thank you for using the musicians this morning to lead us into your throne room. And I pray now that you would help us to concentrate our thoughts and our minds and our hearts on you. I would ask, as I'm feeling a little out of sorts, that you would use the words that you have given to me, that I would be able to articulate them in such a way that honors and glorifies you. And when we leave in a few moments' time, may we all be different for no other reason than that you have been here with us. I ask that you would be with all of us here this morning who carry concerns or weights or anxieties. It would be naive and foolish to think that everyone here is going up and to the right. And so for those of us who just feel weary and heavy laden, I pray that as as your word goes forth, you would just give us all your rest that we would know your peace that doesn't make sense, and that, God, you would just bathe us with a sense that you are in control. So I pray all of these things in Jesus' name and all of God's people said. Amen. Amen. A few years ago, probably five now, I was asked to do some music at a funeral, which isn't all that rare when you do what I do. But this one sticks out for me because it was, it was original, it was unique. The gentleman who had died had no interest in the Lord when he was alive, nor when he died. All through his life he had been completely apathetic towards anything to do with organized religion. And so as per request of the family, I was asked to perform two songs. One was a Shania Twain song that I can't even remember, which you'd think I would because it's the only time I've ever sung a Shania Twain song. And I'll tell you, it weren't pretty. I'll I'll tell you that. (laughs) But the other song was a classic 1972 hit by the Eagles that I'm sure Brian has played many times in his life. And I'll share that in a moment, but I can't even begin to tell you how surreal how bizarre it was to be involved in what is ideally a sacred ritual 
and instead find myself singing the words, I was driving down the road trying to loosen my load, I've got seven women on my mind. (laughs) It's at a funeral. Brian's amening over here, I don't know what that's for, but... uh, Because while admitting, while admitting that the verses of that song are shallow, to say the least, I was then and continue today to be struck by the gravity of the chorus of that song. Maybe because it runs so contrary to the way that a lot of us choose to live in the 21st century. Take it easy. Take it easy. Don't let the sound of your own wheels drive you crazy. Last week, Pastor Gordon addressed work. This morning, I've been tasked with the other side of the work coin, which is taking it easy or rest. So here's the question I'd like each of us to wrestle through this morning. How easy do you find it to take it easy, to rest? How easy do you find it to unplug and unwind from a dog chasing its tail existence and just without feeling guilty about it? Now, I realize this morning that many people here have to legitimately work on Sunday. I am not suggesting in any way that you should go out and find another job if that is you. All that means in the context of this conversation is we we need to be creative and innovative in the ways and the times in which we rest. But a couple of weeks ago, a close friend of mine bought an electric car. I had a whole list of questions for her, And at the top of my list were the questions, how fast and how far can your car go before being plugged in, before being recharged? And as important as those questions are for the consumer, considering whether or not to buy an electric vehicle, this morning I would contend that they're even more important questions for the care of the soul. How far, how fast can we go before getting plugged in, before having our batteries recharged? The religious name we've given this process is called Sabbath. It's an Old Testament term that finds its origin in Genesis 2, where you folks have been studying, where we read the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. And on the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so God rested from all, not some. God rested from all of his work. And he blessed the seventh day, and he declared it to be holy, unique, distinct, set apart, Because it was the day when he, God, rested from all of his work. Exodus 20, starting at verse 8, reads, Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. 
Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, all that is in them, and God rested. God rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he made it holy, unique, distinct, set apart. And lest any of us think that Sabbath is relegated to the Old Testament, in Hebrews 4, we read this. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their work, just as God did his. How easy do you take it easy? Some of my favorite words are from Jesus, recorded in Matthew 11 and 28. And I really believe that there's someone here, the only reason you're here this morning is to hear this verse. Jesus says to every one of his children, come to me, all of you who are weary. King James says, and heavy laden, and carry heavy burdens. And here is the promise. And if you do, I will give you what? What an incredible promise. He continues, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find for your souls. Now ironically, instead of hearing in these words of our Lord the promise of peace, they can instead sound and feel like sandpaper to the ears and ethos of a culture that endorses, encourages, and even rewards a lifestyle in which we find ourselves running around like a chicken with its head cut off. How easy and natural it becomes for us to slide into a workaholic rat race, shamelessly and shamefully baptized as the Protestant work ethic, which sees people enslaved by 50, 60, 70-hour work weeks, neglecting family, Little or no vacation, always accessible and plugged into some electronic device. In essence, idolizing work and busyness and the phony sustenance it promises. Meanwhile, our master asks, what good does it profit a person if they gain the whole world but lose their soul? If you were to ask a lot of people what their favorite scripture verse was, in church or out of church, usually John 3.16 would be at the top. But Psalm 23 comes a close second. And what I find interesting about Psalm 23 is usually it's only the first line that gets mentioned. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I don't hear a lot of amens for the next part. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Has the Lord ever had to make you lie down? 
he makes me lie down. I don't voluntarily go. I don't say I can't wait for my nap. He makes me lie down in green pastures. But if the Bible repeatedly emphasizes how important Sabbath and resting is, isn't it interesting that within the last 10, 15, 20 years or so, some of the most common responses to the question, hey, how you doing, Christian or non? And this is like looking in a mirror when I say this. How often is the response that you hear or give, I'm so busy. I don't have time to breathe. There aren't enough hours in a day. I'm burning the candle at both ends. I'm ready to collapse. I'm exhausted. It reminded me of that little ditty we used to sing as children. Work your fingers to the bone. What do you get? Bony fingers. (laughs) But as I've become a man and put away childish things, I became more sophisticated when I started listening to country music. Why are you laughing? As a teenager, I remember the country supergroup Alabama singing a song that said this, I'm in a hurry to get things done. I rush and rush until life's no fun. All I got to do is live and die. Here we go. I'm in a hurry and don't know why. That's some pretty good truth from some sophisticated country boys. So how well do you rest? Do you Sabbath well? Now, this is going to sound maybe old school to some of you. Some of you, I think, will be able to relate to this. But I just want to share a little bit of my experience about Sabbath. I was raised in an environment in which it was normal to hear Sunday referred to as the Lord's Day. Anybody anybody grow up with that? The Lord's Day? And I confess that as a child, until I left home in grade 10, because of everything that that expression, the Lord's Day, because of everything that meant in my house, I hated Sundays. I hated for the week. Lover boy sings, everybody's working for the weekend. I hated to see the weekend roll around as a kid. Because being raised in an ultra-conservative Christian home, honoring or respecting the Lord's Day was a big deal for my mom and dad. There was a short list of things that my brother and I were allowed to do, and I'll tell you what, there was a scroll of things that we couldn't. Sandwiched between Sunday school and morning church service and evening church service, the only physical exercise that we were allowed to do was go for a walk. For some mysterious reason, bicycling was evil and forbidden, as was swimming. Sports were out of the question. Up until a certain age, we were made to take a nap. And once we outgrew that, at least if we weren't sleeping... We had to be quiet. (laughs) We were allowed allowed to watch. Legalism is funny. We were allowed to watch two television shows. The Wonderful World of Disney, because we all know how godly that is. 
and the beachcombers. How many of you remember the beachcombers? That's why I still have a relic toque that's my favorite hat to wear. And looking back on that season in my life, the only positive thing that I can say is that my parents were consistent. They didn't ask anything of my brother and I that they didn't do themselves. No chores were done. No cleaning, no laundry, no yard work. My soul, no shopping. Mom usually cooked the Sunday meal on Saturday night so that all she'd have to do on Sunday morning would be to warm it up. I distinctly remember her tisks of disapproval whenever we would be driving by a house that had clothes drying on the clothesline on Sunday afternoon, and I would hear her mutter under her breath, the better the day, the better the deed. I hope this isn't being recorded. I want to get cut out of the will. And while it's true that for the whole of my childhood, I hated to see Sundays roll around, on this side of that experience, I think I can see the method behind my parents' madness, albeit a tad extreme. I honestly believe that my parents were doing their very best to differentiate Sunday or the Lord's Day from every other day, to make it unique, set apart, holy. And while admittedly their prohibitions made Sunday a loathsome experience as a child, it certainly didn't kill me. And there is no doubt in my brother or my minds, that there should be something special about what the old-timers called the Lord's Day. So as much as I disagree with all of the rules and regulations that that surrounded the Lord's Day of my childhood, here's what I wonder. I can't help but wonder if in the name of breaking chains of legalism, Many Christians have swung the pendulum to the other extreme, in which the Lord's Day has become little more than another 24-hour block to do the same old, same old, to grind it out, to be productive, to knock some more items off of the to-do or the honey-do list. I wonder. Mark Buchanan prophetically warns, In a culture where busyness is a fetish and stillness is laziness, rest is sloth. I'll say that again. In a culture where busyness is a fetish and stillness is laziness, rest is sloth. But he warns, without rest, we miss the rest of God. The rest that he invites us to enter more fully so that we might know him more deeply. Be still and know that I am God. Some knowing is never pursued. It is only received. And in in order to receive it, we have to be still. 
We see this played out in living color in a story recorded in the 10th chapter of Luke's Gospel. Reading from the message translation. And as I read this, I would just like for you to ask yourself the question, what character am I in this story? As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a village where a woman named Martha welcomed them into her home. Her sister Mary sat on the floor listening to Jesus as he talked. But Martha, says the message, was the jittery type, put in brackets, type A personality. And she was worrying over the big dinner that she was preparing. This is the Lord. She came to Jesus and she said, Sir, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I'm doing all the work. I love it when we think Jesus will be in our corner (laughs) and we go to him thinking that he will be. So here's my translation of the next sentence of that. The translation reads, tell her to come and help me. My translation is, tell her to get off her butt and give me a hand. So Jesus did. No. But the Lord said to her, and I wish I knew the tone that Jesus used. I think it was gentle. But he said to her, Martha, dear friend, you are so upset. You're so stressed out. You're so angst-ridden. You are so beside yourself with all of these details. And if there's one sentence I want you to take home with you today, it's Jesus' next line. There is really only one thing to be concerned about. There is really only one thing to be concerned about. Your sister, ouch, sitting on the floor, she has found it. And I am not going to take it from her. A capitalist society makes us feel guilty if we are not producing something. Within that matrix, things like self-worth and value and image are all connected intimately to what we do or how we perform rather than who we are, a daughter or a son of the living God. Hence, we use every possible means, from emails to texts to calendars to systems to fill our lives with infinite busyness. Our minds are bewitched into believing that we no longer have time for the things that once brought legitimate fulfillment and peace, like being still and knowing that God is God. How many of you have ever sat down just to be still 
And all you can do is think about what you should be doing or you think you should be doing instead. Addressing what he interestingly calls the builder's high. Michael Lopp contends that each one of us have a threshold by which we can easily cross into destructive or harmful busyness. I know when I cross that threshold myself, he says. It happens anywhere between 2 and 5 in the morning. My eyes open, and I'm deeply worried about something. Let's be crystal clear what is happening here, he says. At a time when my body should be resting and recharging and repairing, my mind, my brain believes that the correct course of action is to wake up in the middle of the night to work. We are surrounded by stimuli built to drive us harder and faster. My advice, he says, is to perpetually take the time to stop and understand the true nature of our busy. Stop and understand the true nature of our busy. Some of you here would remember Sandy Hollinger, a dear friend of mine, a cornerstone worshiper, who passed away some time ago. And I remember Sandy saying to me on more than one occasion, Dana, anybody can say they're busy. That's not the question. The question is, busy doing what? Wise words. For our sake, For our family and friends' sake, for God's sake, some of us may need to examine our uncontrolled urge for busyness. Because this isn't just about myself and you. If you'll be gracious for a one-minute rant from something that's going to sound like I'm an oldster. As a parent of an 11-year-old who cannot sit still for more than 10 minutes in silence before him and his posse of 11-year-olds are saying, I'm bored, if they don't have a gizmo in their hands or in their face. I have wondered in moments of sober deliberation. I have wondered if we're not raising an overstimulated generation who find it next to impossible to be still and know anything, let alone that God is God. I wonder. All the while watching parents and grandparents and godparents and older siblings look at their phones every minute and a half and then blame the kids. Told you I'd sound like an oldster. Enter Sabbath. A deliberate season in which we intentionally stop what we're doing and evaluate the nature of our busy. 
not doing nothing like when I was a kid, like the way I was raised, but delighting in who God is and all that he has given us to enjoy. Last night, before my eyes swelled up like a coconut, my wife gave me the greatest gift ever. She said, would you like to go picking raspberries by yourself tomorrow? I'll take Levi and a couple of his friends to the beach. And you can go pick where some friends, some friends of ours have some raspberry bushes. I love picking raspberries. And it's not because it's work. I'm not going to get $2 for a box. I'm not going because it's going to pay for, to fill the oil tank or whatever. I'm going because I just love picking berries. And it's a time to enjoy all that God has given us to enjoy. I wonder if anybody's ever defined worship as being in the middle of a raspberry field. Maybe they should. Someone has said, I love this. Now, I will give you five bucks if you can say it three times fast. So I'm going to say it twice slow. Someone has said that Sabbath is the one day when the only thing we must do is to not do the things we think we must. I'll say that again. Sabbath is the one day where the only thing that we must do is to not do the things we think we must. Amen, and amen, and amen. In a very real sense, sense, there was my thick tongue tenth. In a very real sense, Sabbath in the 21st century is sacramental. It is an act of repentance of changing direction. We intentionally turn our backs on the dozens of things that we've convinced ourselves that our existence depends on, and we turn toward the thing we've put off and pushed away for lack of time, lack of room, and possibly lack of breath. Now, I realized this morning that this word is not for everyone. Some of us here Sabbath well. Some of us here take it easy, easily. So how can we discern whether or not this may be a word for me or for you? Here's a litmus test. Mark Buchanan again says, One measure for whether or not we're rested enough is to ask ourselves the question, and here's the litmus test. How much do I care about the things I care about? How much do I care about the things that I care about? He goes on. When we lose concern for people, both the lost and the found, for the bride of Christ, for friendship, for truth and beauty and goodness, when we stop laughing when children laugh and instead yell at them to quiet down, 
When we do not cry when our spouses cry and instead we wish they didn't get so emotional. When we hear troubling news about our neighbors and our first thought is that we hope it isn't going to involve us. When we stop caring about the things that we care about, that may be a signal that we're a little too busy. We have let ourselves be consumed by the things that feed the ego but starve the soul. Busyness kills the heart. And church, I say this from personal experience. Before the Benadryl took over my brain, I was going to start this morning by saying, good morning, my name is Dana. And outside of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, I am a workaholic. Ten years ago, I was walking on a beautiful beach with my wife on Grand Manan Island. It was after dark. It was something right out of a romantic comedy, if you watch those, which I don't. But lest you get any sweet ideas about the picture that I just painted and go, ah. During that walk, my wife turned to me. And in a way that only those who love us the most can, said to me, Dana, I'm tired of you being here, but never being here. I was with her on the beach. We might even have been hand in hand for a couple minutes. But this was gone. It was thinking about, I should be, I need to be, I gotta be. I was like that dog that's always, that sees the ball and he's just bouncing all the time. I wasn't present. I'm tired of you being here but never being here. And so the challenge that I would like to offer you this morning, if you're just wondering if you take it easy, easily, or not, the scriptures say that the heart is deceitful above all things. Socrates said, know yourself. That's problematic because we usually think the best of ourselves. Ask someone that you know has your best interests in heart and mind. Ask them undefensively. If you're not ready, the scripture also says, for those who have ears, let them hear. If you're not ready to hear what they have to say, don't ask. Ask them undefensively. Do I Sabbath well? Do I take it easy? Easily. Ask your kids, ask your grandkids, ask your spouse, ask your coworkers. Do I take it easy, easily? I'm going to ask Michaela and the praise band to come back if they would. They're going to close us in a song. I started this morning 
with a song from the eagles, intoning the virtues of taking it easy. 22 years after they released that song, they released another one that I think some of us in this room can probably relate to. And the Eagles sang this 22 years after Take It Easy. It's just another day in paradise as you stumble to your bed. You'd give anything to silence those voices ringing in your head. You thought that you could find happiness just over that green hill. You thought you would be satisfied, but you never will until or unless you learn to be still. Though the world is torn and shaken, even if our heart is breaking, it's waiting for us to awaken, and someday we will, if, when, as, we learn to be still. As followers of the Good Shepherd, how easy do we take it easy? There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their work, just as God did his. Amen and amen. Would you stand as we close in song?